G'day, Simon. G'day, Bruce. Do you know what? I've been wanting to say g'day, Bruce, to you for a really long time because of the whole Monty Python sketch, but yes. you're a very British, English gentleman, and therefore it doesn't seem right. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to another edition of Fact, Fact Orally. With me, Bruce Fielding. And me, Simon Wells. Hello. Welcome. We are professional uh, voice artists, which is why we sound like this. Yes, yes. Although... No, well, you see, the thing is that we know these days that professional voice artists are meant to sound like... Everyday, wrong. conversational, yeah, exactly. ordinary, bloke-next-door voice. Yeah. Yes, the lovely, suave, sophisticated, look-at-me-I-know-everything voice is not quite so... Uh, no, I know. It's not as popular as it once was. But there you go. We can still do it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we going to be talking about this week, Simon? Well, this week, Bruce, we are going to be talking about potatoes, Ooh. which, you know, is an, an obvious choice, isn't it? As soon as you think, I'd like to listen to an interesting cultural factual podcast that's going to tell me lots of interesting and useful facts, you instantly think potatoes, don't of you? Of course, yes. It's natural. Yes, I, 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 it, it occurred to me straight away the moment I thought of vodka, uh, potatoes. <laughs> I tell you what, if you actually have written anything about moonshine, that'd be great because I, I just realised I didn't go down the alcoholic potato route. So ah, if you've got anything, that would be. I do. Oh, there we go. Great. Well, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> so, Bruce, what is a potato? It's a root vegetable. Okay. It's a tuber, not like the ones that you play. It's it, it's a tuber in much the same way as a lot of stuff that grows under the ground is a tuber. Right, okay. And what is a tuber? I don't know, actually. I didn't bother. <laughs> Do you know what? I thought it was so obvious I didn't even bother to look it up. I did look it up. Um, it's, it's the swollen fleshy part of uh, an underground root system. Okay. <laughs> yeah, precisely. So, obviously, that means... The, the the lumpy edible bit of a of a root vegetable, so a potato, a parsnip, a turnip, a swede, those sort of thick fleshy bits are the bits you can eat. Um, but at the same time, I saw something online a, a little while ago that said uh, that's not a potato, it's a tuber. So pff, I don't know what the difference is between the two, if indeed there is one. I think they're are, are they related to the tomato? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's related to the, to the tomato in one way or another. I have a suspicion that they are. I, I vaguely remember them being slightly toxic in the same way that uh, tomatoes are slightly toxic, but I could be completely wrong. Well, I think, aren't they both uh, indirectly related to nightshade? Yes, that's that's the reason. And, and therefore the they must be... I mean, everything is related to everything by virtue of being organic matter. But... Are we related? <laughs> I think so, yeah, yeah. Didn't your mother's first cousin have a thing with my grandfather's second cousin? We don't talk about that in the family. Fine. Okay, we don't talk about that. Um, so, yeah, yes, so potatoes are related to nightshade. And, in fact, when they first came to this country uh, and to the rest of Europe, people were quite suspicious of them um, and didn't want to eat them because they, they thought they were connected to nightshade. Nightshade has certain satanic, witchcrafty, Connections. I think back the clues in, in the name, isn't it? Really, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, when, um, so you say they came here. Where do they come from? So they're they're indigenous to South America, essentially. Um, there's evidence to suggest that they've been cultivated in Peru since about five or six thousand BC. Wow. Um, and that's where they they stayed until 
uh, Europe went and invaded South America <laughs> and took all their silver and everything. So this um, is conquistadors. They're sort of like the Spaniards bringing it back to Spain. So they're, they're out with everything. There are conflicting issues. The Spanish say it was them. Uh, we say it was us. It's There's documentation to say that we both brought these things back. They weren't exclusive to anyone. Basically, anyone who went and, went and invaded the Incas or the Andes uh, brought these things back with them, stuck them in the ground, and um, started growing them themselves. I think given that it's a Spanish name, potato or patata, yeah, I, yeah. I think maybe... Uh, you think we should give the credit to them? But yeah. no, let's let's assume they're British. <laughs> <laughs> if we screw up our eyes tightly and believe it, then it must be true. Yeah, no, I I heard that it was um, that the Spanish Bas- Basque farmers in Spain were the first people to uh, to grow them right. in Europe. Okay, okay, and that actually they they came over sort of in the in, in the sort of early fifteen hundreds. Yeah. But uh, Walter Riley claimed to have introduced them to Ireland in, in sort of the late 1500s, about 1589. Didn't Drake also claim something? Oh, quite possibly. Basically, all the all the famous British sailors and explorers said, nope, that was me. Yeah. I did that. Walter Riley <laughs> smoking his potatoes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I was th- exactly thinking of an episode of Blackadder. <laughs> oh, heck, can I test my memory of Blackadder quotes now? Something along the lines of, uh, he's making a fortune out of these things. People are smoking them, building houses out of them. They'll be eating them next. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so Raleigh's sort of introduced potatoes to Ireland. So what's so good about a potato is that they're very easy to grow. Are they? They are incredibly easy to grow. A lot easier than wheat. So if if you want carbs... Yeah, you can you know get them various different ways, but wheat is a bit of a bugger. You, know, you have to process it in all sorts. Whereas a potato, yeah. you can basically lift out of the ground, boil, and then eat. It's really yes, easy. That's fairly simple, isn't it? Yeah, mm. you put it in, you take it out, and <laughs> that's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Fair enough. Actually, we talked we talked about um, the the nightshade aspect of it. Yeah. I have in my head that they used to eat the they used to eat the flowers. And throw right. the potatoes away. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And then they and then they got very ill because, because, because they, they were eating flowers. nightshade. Yeah, brilliant. And it was only until somebody worked to actually know what you do is you throw that bit away, keep the keep the tuber. Go for the other and end. It works yeah. okay. I, I think I'd read that um, that they, they they were nicknamed the devil's apples. Ah, isn't that nice? <laughs> the devil's dumplings. No, that's some, that again. <laughs> that's that, black, that's back Black to Blackadder again. again. Sorry about. Oh, that. we should do an entire episode on Blackadder. <laughs> <laughs> but the talk, talking of carbs, I mean, they are, they are easier to grow than wheat, and in fact, they give you more calories. They give you something yes. like for, for weight for weight, they give you nearly four times the calories of, really? of wheat in a, wow. in a potato. Oh, that's a lot more calories. It's a lot more calories. So they're easy to grow. They're easy to dig up. They provide a lot of calories. They're quite cheap. Um, And and this is presumably all of those things together led them to being such the staple food stuff that they that they became. Um, And especially amongst the the sort of the working lower classes, these these things became an absolute dietary must, didn't they? I think they did. I, I think that there were reasons why if you if you're if you're a king or an emperor, or something like that. What you want is a large number of people in your population so that you can have a large army. Yes. Um, and a large army means you have more territory and more power and all that sure. stuff. To get a larger army, you need to be able to feed your people 
enough so that they breed and <laughs> give you um, more people to fuel your army. Okay. And then when you've got a larger army, you need to feed that army too. Yes, yes. Um, there's a lovely, I, I think it's apocryphal, but I love the story about Frederick of Prussia. Right. Who was desperately, people would not eat potatoes at all in Germany. Surprising when you think about how many, like kartoffel salad and all that stuff that, that, that Germans eat now. Yeah, sure. But Frederick the Great uh, of Prussia decided that he needed his people to eat potatoes. But he couldn't right. convince them to eat them because it's like, as you said, it was like the food of the devil yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. It was terrible stuff. So what he did was he planted a a, a garden, uh, sort of like a kitchen garden, planted potatoes mm. and called them the royal vegetable. <laughs> and and he and he told his soldiers to guard the garden with the raw vegetables, but not very well. <laughs> so, so that people could get in and nick these royal vegetables, which were supposed to be amazing. Yeah. And so lots of people nicked the royal veg and uh, grew potatoes. And that oh. was how he managed to distribute potatoes amongst the population of, of Germany. There's nothing like a good bit of press or marketing, <laughs> is there, just to, to completely change the fortunes of an unwanted product. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so potatoes have, have become prolific. They've become a real staple. They've even become a royal food. Uh, I read a lovely article in, in written in 1785 by uh, a chap called, I've not written his name down. That's an odd name. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. But I've not written his name down, wrote an article in a, in a paper called The Bon Jardinier, The Good Gardener. Uh-huh. And he wrote, uh, there is no vegetable about which so much has been written and so much enthusiasm has ever been shown than the potato. That's quite a good endorsement. I'd say so. I guess because it's so versatile. Yeah. There's only so many things you can do with a carrot. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are, you, know, you can roast it or boil it or chuck it, chop it up into a salad. And that's pretty much it for a carrot. Yeah, I suppose so. Whereas a potato, you can do all sorts of things with. Come on, let's, off the top of our head, let's name some things that you can do with a spud. Julienne. Mashed. Boiled. Chips. Or for our American listeners, fries. Roast. Crisps. Or for our American listeners, <laughs> chips. Baked. Did we say potato salad? Oh, no, we didn't. Potato salad. Very good. Uh, weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> Not where I thought that was going. <laughs> Talk about that for a bit. <laughs> uh, firing from cannons, they're quite. If you run out, of, if you run out of shot, potatoes are very useful to fire at your enemies. Really? Yes, they hurt a lot. <laughs> I would imagine they would. Yeah, especially the full sort of small Jersey Royals kind of, level <laughs> of potatoes. Like stick a few of those. It's basically shrapnel. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we're likening likening a nice big King Edward to a cannonball and uh, little. Charlotte, whatever he's yes. to to shrapnel. Yes, Great. I think so. That seems reasonable. Do you have um, documented evidence of this occurring? Uh, I have read it. Yes, I, ha- right. I have read of firing. Well, although actually, when I was a child, there was a thing called a spud gun. <laughs> oh yeah, true spud guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which which I guess that is a weapon. That is a weapon that uses a potato. It's one of those ones where you basically yeah. stick the stick the nozzle of the gun into a potato, which makes a small cylinder a small cylinder of potato, and yes. then it uses air to sort of fire this small cylinder of potato at your yes. 
friends or family. I've always meant to try a spud gun. I've never got round to it. Do you still have one? I don't still have one, but I remember fondly using one in my youth many, many, right. many, many years ago. Having been to your house, you strike me as the sort of man who might just happen to have a spud gun laying Hanging around. around somewhere. I remember it was blue. <laughs> right, okay, fine. Good. Isn't that weird? I can actually remember the colour of my spud gun. Wow. Name of, name of your first musical album when it finally happened. <laughs> <laughs> So potatoes have become more and more prolific. Um, by by the beginning of the 19th century, it had officially replaced the turnip as Britain's favourite and most popular vegetable. So the turnip was bef- before the potato. It was the turnip. Yeah, yeah. The turnip was the root vegetable of choice in these lands. I have to say it. You know I have to say it. Go on. That's a turnip for the books. Where's my mini drum kit? I don't have one. <laughs> I'll insert a drum kit sound effect later. So, so Britain's favourite vegetable became the potato. Yes, having been the turnip for however long. Yes, yeah, so the, the, it, it just sort of shows as to how prevalent the potato had become. That uh, in in Ireland in the eighteen forties uh, there was a a particular disease going around called the potato blight, and you know potatoes were so so systematically part of the everyday diet that when that one single crop failed you know nothing else was particularly going going wrong in in the harvests but just the potatoes one million people in ireland died because of that that potato blight yes that was that was a mold of some sort that that attacked the potato yeah, yeah it was and i think also, so a mil- i think a million people died and another million people buggered off to america were displaced yeah yes. exactly so yeah. the, hence the diaspora of of, of ireland was, was massively yeah. uh, spread through the yeah. spread of this disease um, in the potato crop. And apparently it took years for um, Ireland to recover from this mm. blight. Yeah, I bet. And, and, the, and one of the main reasons for them growing so many potatoes in Ireland uh, was that most of Ireland was owned by English people. Right. And it was a nice cheap way of feeding your, your peasants. Oh, great. Yes. We have a, a, if our listeners can't tell, we have an interesting... Um, relationship with uh, our our country of England. We're terribly proud to be English. And then every now and then we sort of hang our heads in shame. <laughs> yes, it's, it, it, it's like being in love with someone that you know is hateful occasionally. Hmm. Yeah, good analogy. So, yes, so, so the reason why the, the English um, insisted on the Irish growing potatoes was, again, for this sort of high-calorific, cheap mm. way. Yeah. And it was the same reason why um, armies tended to be fed potatoes a lot and also to grow right. potatoes on the way. So on the way to battles, they would plant potatoes so that if, when they were mm. coming home, they had something to eat. Oh, brilliant. Because they grow really idea. fast as well. Do they? Mm. Oh. I've grown them in my back garden. Have you? Okay. How long does it... So from planting to digging up, how long are we talking? I vaguely remember it being sort of quite quick, like sort of four or five months. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Not sort of the the multiple years that you no 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 you you, from... you you know when when you find a potato at the back of the uh, the vegetable uh, store that's got eyes and yes. stuff yes. growing out of it and just stick it in the ground and it grows. Gosh, that is simple, isn't it? Yeah, it's really <laughs> really simple. So 
potato names. I had a I had a quick look at uh, a couple of potato names. They all seem to have have interesting names. Uh, I haven't got time to talk about them all, but um, I looked at the two most popular ones in this country, at least. Can you name those? Uh, Maris Piper and King Edward. Very good. Give that man a gold star. Is that right? It is. Oh, wow. <laughs> those are the two most popular potato varieties in Great Britain. Very good. Wow, there we go. Uh, the, the King Edward uh, potato was, um, I was going to say launched, <laughs> <laughs> going back to the canon again, um, was bred. There we go. It was, was bred and, and created in 1902 uh, by a fellow called John Butler from Lincolnshire. And that was the same year of, uh, as the coronation of, of King Edward VII. So he named it the King Edward potato. Simple as that. Gosh, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the Maris Piper you, you mentioned was, was first bred in the 1950s uh, by the Plant Breeding Institute of Cambridgeshire. And um, the, the, whoever grows the, the, the breed gets to, to name it. And it was named after Maris Lane, which was the name of the road that the institute was based on. And then the, the grower's son was, was given the option to come up with the second name, and he went Piper. So there's the Maris Piper. But you can do an awful lot of stuff with, with potatoes, can't you? You can, you can make them into all sorts of things. And one of the things you can make them into, as you alluded to at the front, was crisps or chips. Uh, yes, fat, fattening thin slices that have that have been uh, cooked in oil. Yes, or these days they air fry them and things like that and all sorts. Do you know what is the most famous crisp chip in the world in terms of brand? Yes, I would say Walkers. That's because you're British. What would you yes. say if you were American? I would probably say Lay's. Ah, oh no, that's um, that's is that, that Australian? That, or yes. In um, fact, Kettle. No, you, so you're, going, you're going through them all. You're doing very well with lots and lots of crisp names. But the big one that you've forgotten, which is the hyperbolic paraboloid. I love a hyperbolic paraboloid in the morning. I love a, I love a tube of hyperbolic paraboloids. We're talking about Pringles, aren't We're we? We're talking about Pringles. Of course. Yes. Pringles are amazing. Yes. Uh, they were invented. They're, they're quite recent, though. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've, we've been talking about thousands of years of the potato. Yeah. And Pringles were invented... Uh, in about 1967. Really? As yeah. recent as that? Okay. Ah. Uh, by, uh, there was a chemist called Frederick Bauer. Who, oh, not Pringle? Yeah. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Oh, what a shame. Well, no, well there was a Mr. Pringle, but the, but the guy, the, the chemist who invented it, who yes. put it all together, was okay. a chap called Frederick Bauer. Right. And, and he is technically known as a hyperbolic paraboloid. Yes, it is. And they use computers... <laughs> in 1967 <laughs> to work out how best to shape crisps. Uh, but, but the idea was that the aerodynamics of, of, of that hyperbolic paraboloid uh, would, would actually keep them intact because this guy, Fred, was really upset that when he bought a bag of crisps, there were lots of broken ones <laughs> in uh, the bag. Right. So he, um, he, uh, he created this shape and, and the tube itself as well, yes. in which he was buried. He wasn't. He, the, uh, Frederick Bauer, who invented the Pringle, was buried in a Pringles tube. His children were on the way to collect his ashes. And um, they were chatting amongst themselves. And they, Wouldn't it be fun to bury Dad in a Pringles tube? <laughs> and, they could, and, they, and they discussed which flavour. Because there are an awful lot of flavours. Oh, he'd have to be the original, wouldn't he? Uh, well, he was. they eventually plumped for the, for, for the original I support uh, that. Pringles. And, and uh, 
they, they, they put some of his ashes in a Pringles tube and buried the Pringles tube. Well, that seems quite fitting. Yeah, I think so. But there are an awful <laughs> lot of, I mean, the flavours of a Pringles. Uh, yes. Some very weird ones. Uh, Serrano ham. Really? Eggs, eggs Benedict. <laughs> crab. Hot dog. Salted caramel. Tortilla cinnamon. Like there's just so many different. Where on earth do you go shopping, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> well, this I go to this very specialist shop called the World of Pringles. Oh right, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I, I think I could probably name original sour cream and chive, paprika, barbecue, and that would be it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's even a prawn cocktail one. I mean, I know that people think that prawn cocktail crisps are like exclusive to the UK. But there is actually a prawn, apart from a, from the crab Pringle, there is actually a prawn cocktail Pringle. Is there? Which which is fantastic. Mm. And, I, and I mentioned crisps. This is interesting. They were called crisps in America because they weren't allowed to call them chips because they weren't pure potato. They had things like wheat and rice in them. Right. Uh, yes, because they're, a, they're sort of a, a potato chip is a thinly sliced potato. Whereas exactly. Pringles and not Monster Munch, that's made out of maize. But those sorts of things are reformed, shaped, mashed potato yes, starch, aren't yes. they? Yes, really? hula hoops, things like that. Yes, anything that's got a funny shape to it. Yes. Um, so they weren't allowed to call them chips, so they right. called them crisps. Right. Um, there, is a, there is a museum in Idaho which has the world's largest Pringle. Ooh, go on. Which is 25 inches. <laughs> My God. Goodness. It's a 25-inch Pringle that was actually made, made the right way. Crikey. That's a heck of a Pringle. That is it? one heck of a Pringle. But there, there are loads of potato museums. Are there? There are loads and loads. And, I mean, as you'd expect, there are, there are ones in, in Germany, obviously. Sure. There's the Deutsches Kartoffel Museum. Right. But also, don't forget, you know, one of the great places for, for chips, for, for um, fries. Is Belgium. Okay, yes. Getting a, a, a plate of um, mussels and fries is, is yeah, kind of like yeah. de rigueur. And there are, there are actually two museums of, of potatoes in Belgium. Are they really? Wow. There's even one in Lithuania. Huh. wonder if anyone's ever been to the mall. Has anyone out there got a particular potato interest who's made it their it, If anybody to... wants to go and visit all of the potato museums in the world, <laughs> um, we will happily publish your, your blog on our, on our website. Thank goodness for a minute I thought you were going to say we'll happily pay for you to do it. No, God, no. <laughs> Come on, they're, they're everywhere from Austria, Canada, yeah, exactly. Germany, US, all sorts, all over the shop. That would be very generous, wouldn't it? We'll have to get sponsorship to do things like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned Belgian there. Um, French fries aren't French, are they? Are they not? No. So, So French fries are, in fact, from... It depends who you ask. <laughs> um, they are they go back to Belgium to at least the 1700s. They might go back to Spain to the 1600s, but it's one of those cases where th there are written uh, written accounts of eating pieces of fried potato, but that's not quite specific enough to say that they were the stick shape that we recognise as being French fries. Um, so they they could be Spanish, but they are they are at least definitely uh, Belgium, and there are a couple of stories as to why they became called French fries. One is that British troops during the First World War saw uh, some French people eating these fries, and because they saw them being eaten by the French, they assumed they were French, hence French fries. 
what's more likely is that there's um there's actually a method of cooking or, or preparing vegetables called frenching oh. uh, which is close to julienne and um in 1802 there's a, a document relating to thomas jefferson in america and it says uh, he served potatoes served in the french manner at the white house uh, at dinner one day so they were therefore french fried potatoes you know potatoes that were fried in the french style um so there's there's french fries um obviously there's quite a difference between french fries and british chips uh chips are a, a very big industry over here but one of our famous british meals is fish and chips absolutely absolutely do you know how many portions of fish and chips are served each year in the uk i do not simon but you do i do 382 million wow which i was really surprised that it's not more than that because how i, I don't actually know off the top of my head what the population of, of britain is at the moment but that's so about 65 70 million something like is that. it okay so that would imply that we're only eating about five portions of fish and chips each a year which if my intake is anything to go by is <laughs> n- in- inaccurate yes <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the most famous potato is? No. It's Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) Oh, I do love how you take us down these little random avenues. You think you know where you're going and then Bruce turns up. (laughs) Go on then, tell us about Mr. Potato Head. So Mr. Potato Head was was actually um, invented in the early 50s. And it was the first toy advertised on television. Was it really? And it was the first campaign aimed at children rather than before that commercials were aimed at their parents. Ah. Um, it was quite a vicious thing, this thing. It had um, sharp points on it so that it could actually go into the potato quite easily. Right. And there, there were basically bits of uh, you know, mouth and eyes yeah. and nose. Effectively, that was it, really, basically. Um, but then uh, about a, a year later, they brought out Mrs. Potato Head. <laughs> And then there were brothers and sisters and all sorts of things. So, and then they started. It started to roller coaster into all sorts of other things. They had um, uh, boats and cars and things for Mr. Potato Head. Yeah. In about ten years after, about 1964, they included a plastic potato body. Right. With the Mr. Potato. <laughs> so, so that became like the Mr. Potato Head. Yes. Is is now that thing that we recognise in Toy Story and things like yes. that as Mr. Potato Head. Because of, of how prolific those movies are, I think I had somehow forgotten that Mr. Potato Head used to be based on a potato. Yes. Rather than a plastic potato. Absolutely. Yes. And his name, in case you ever got uh, asked, what's his name, Mr. Potato Head? His name is Jason. Is it? It is Jason. I would never have assumed he had a first name. <laughs> Jason Potato Head. Jason Potato Head. That doesn't seem right. I know. His first name is Mr. (laughs) (laughs) So I found out that the cheese and onion flavour crisp was invented by an Irish fellow called Joe Spud Murphy in 1954. And and he he owned a a company called Tato, which is still a a popular brand in Ireland. Uh, So this was established in, in 1954, at a time when crisps didn't have any flavouring at all. You know, they were just plain. And unless you had a bag of Smith's, which had a little blue sachet of, of salt inside that you could sprinkle in. Mm-hmm. Um, but this gentleman spotted a niche in the market to, to create a crisp that was already flavoured. 
So he set up this factory, started off with ready salted, um, and then moved on to other things. And, and hey, presto, you've got cheese and onion crisps, which are my personal favourite, I have to say. Do they actually contain any cheese whatsoever? Now, there's a question. I watched a fascinating programme a while ago about how they put flavours in things. And you, you do actually start off with the thing that the flavour is based around. Okay. So in order to make cheese and onion flavouring, you get some cheese and an onion and put them together in some kind of chamber and then you sort of siphon off the air from around it, which contains you know, minuscule little chemicals of, of flavour and smell, and then you just replicate that. You put it through a spectrometer of some sort. Go on then, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say yes. <laughs> now, Bruce, have you ever heard of the annual Flitton potato race? No, Simon, I have never heard of the annual Flitton potato race. What is the annual Flitton potato race? So every year, the village of Flitton in Bedfordshire holds a, a charity race where people from all around gather together. They put on their little marathon-style numbers on their vests and they have a race through the surrounding countryside whilst carrying a sack of potatoes. And there are different grades or classes within this race. You can either carry a 2 kilo, 5, 10 or 20 kilo sack of potatoes whilst doing this race. So handicapping? Pretty much, yeah. And uh, all of the proceeds go to a, a different local charity each year. So there you go. That's the Flitton annual potato race. Excellent. Well, that's that, that's a nice thing to do. It's, I mean, I think that the British have a very good record for these completely stupid daft races. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, Bruce, but I think I have run out of uh, spud-related trivia. We've told you what they are, how to serve them. Where they come from, how they're grown. We've told you everything that we currently know. Well, so why don't you tell us stuff by commenting? And then if you really like this kind of a thing, you could like, like it. Like it. Subscribe to it. Tell your friends about this this wonderful show, if indeed you think it's wonderful. If you think it's terrible, tell them about it anyway, because they might disagree. Yes. But either way, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Factorally. What we could do, actually, is we could do a mashup of all the shows that we've done. A mashup? Is yes. that a potato pun? Yes. Well done for chipping that in. <laughs> right. Time to say goodbye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>